Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, what's going on? It's been uh, been quite the week in baseball. Not a great one for us, but we're going to get into that. But still, uh, we got almost about a month and a half left, a little less. Going to be exciting. We're kind of we're kind of in pennant race season right now. Yeah, this is uh yeah we're we're kind of approaching the the ramping up of the intensity of Major League Baseball. You know, you know, there's there's kind of a there's kind of the dog days of summer mentality between all, you know, the, the all-star break and this time of the year. And now I think it's time we're, we're getting into some more intense playoff races. And uh, it, it certainly feels that way, especially like with the divisions we highlighted um, in, in one of last week's episodes with the, with the AL and NL East things keep on changing and uh we're we're going to be talking about we're going to be highlighting those two divisions once again uh, for yeah. the most part uh first of all yeah uh you you kind of uh addressed it as a precursor not having a great time this week um i was uh i saw i saw some of the some of the uh bad uh energy being brought to us in the flesh uh, I was at Yankee Stadium watching the ah. uh, Red Sox and Yankees on Tuesday night where uh, they scored zero runs, and I had uh, no points to celebrate in front of my Yankee fan friends that were also there. Uh, so that was a that was a tough night, and Red Sox uh, it, as a whole ended up getting swept in a three-game series against the Yankees. Uh, they have been basically uh, – free falling outside of one series against the Orioles since uh, July 29th, uh, which started with a loss against the Blue Jays. And it's been, it's been a rough series. Snowballing. Yeah. Just snowballing. And uh, it's been rough series after rough series against mostly division competitors with, uh, you know, Blue Jays, Rays, Yankees uh, has not been good um, for context on the team. Since July 29th, they have lost 14 out of 20, and they've gone from two and a half up in the division to six and a half back in the division, all in a 22-day span. Uh, what what are we seeing from from the Red Sox uh, in the past like, three weeks? It's really hard to put a finger on exactly what it is because it's kind of been everything. Like the bullpen has failed them a lot of times. Uh, the the offense has been very streaky on and off. The rotation's kind of been okay. Chris Sale just came back, but that's really been the only thing that's like been not bad. It's kind of just a, a collection of things that have been underperforming that have led to the entire team uh, being under 500. Uh, 
over the last couple of weeks, falling out of a playoff spot, blowing a ten and a half game lead to the Yankees in three weeks. Like it's been it's been brutal. Yeah, it's been brutal on on all fronts. And yeah, I, you make a good point saying there's not really one thing you can point your finger at. There there are some things you can point you can emphasize the finger uh, a little more than than some mm-hmm. places, but still, it's not like w- one issue is plaguing the team. Uh, you know, one thing I kind of go back to to think about how this Red Sox team is struggling is uh, like the that Toronto series on the road. I remember, you know, I'm just looking at uh, uh, the scores here also is, you know, their offense was struggling mightily. They, in a, in a doubleheader, they scored a combined two runs and somehow was able to get a win. And then the next day it was like, oh, finally they're scoring runs. They scored eight runs and then they blew a five run lead out of the bullpen. So it clearly wasn't one issue. And uh, they just keep on, they just keep on essentially finding ways to lose. Yeah. Uh, the offense, uh, first of all, I had a stat that I'll just go ahead and say right now. They are chasing yeah. literally everything, which is the most frustrating thing. Uh, coming into the game where they got lit up by Andrew Heaney, which I'm sure these numbers have gotten worse since then, but coming into that game, which was on Wednesday night, the Red Sox had swung at 1,336 of the 3,104 two-strike pitches that were out of the strike zone. So they had seen 3,104 two-strike pitches outside the strike zone. They had swung at 1,336 of them. That is 43%, and that is the highest rate in the majors. And I understand that like a two-strike approach is you want to be aggressive, uh, but, I mean, if you're swinging at a higher percent of of outside pitches, if the other 29 teams are doing better than you at that, like there's no excuses to to be swinging that to be that aggressive to be swinging that much. Right, and uh, I think you see that you see that a lot more uh, towards the bottom of the order, or even like middle lower part of the order, like maybe six down. Uh, yeah, you, you kind of you see a lot of that, and it's interesting to see a, a statistical. A prognosis of them um you did mention also the bullpen being an issue that's probably kind of where it emphasizes overall uh the red sox in their last 20 games uh have a 5.78 team era which ranks 14th in the al in the span uh, and a lot of that has to do i mean the starters haven't been uh, great they have a 5.28 era but that's not Quite as bad as their bullpen, their relievers have had a 6.43 ERA in this 20-game span. Um, I think the the biggest uh, headliner of the struggles with the Red Sox have been has been you know the all-star Matt Barnes uh, in this in this 20-game sample. He's given up seven earned runs in a total of four innings pitched. Uh, yeah, it's. And uh, also Hansel Robles, who I guess you, did, you didn't really expect much out of anyway, but you know was acquired at the deadline. And he's given up five earned runs in six and a third in this uh, in this twenty game span. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if there's anything to if there's anything to blame, it, it might be pitching. I, I it, but even the offense doesn't look right, even though their statistics have been decent. Yeah, you know I mean, 
Yeah, um, I'm trying to look at like their some of their numbers taking out that Orioles series because they they beat the Orioles a combined thirty to five, and you know in theory that should be uh, that sh- that was going into the Yankees series, so in theory they should have been better uh, going forward. That should they should have built off that, but they didn't. Uh, since July 29th, that date you mentioned, uh, taking out the Orioles series, the Red Sox are slashing 231, 305, 358 with a 633, 663 OPS with the runners in scoring position. Uh, that's the problem right there. 72 weighted runs created plus. They're just they're they're getting guys on. Like when they're getting guys on, they're not getting them in, and they're not really getting guys on. I was just about to look for that uh yeah. for that stat there. So it was so yeah, 72 weighted runs created plus with runners in scoring position when not facing the Orioles uh in this 20 game span. Is uh what you're saying? Yeah, because I mean listen, the Orioles are not a good team. They've they're they're the first team since the thirties to have multiple fourteen game losing streaks within a season. Uh the Red Sox. Like I, I said I know I said it the other week, the AL East right now is basically who gets to feed off the Orioles right now. And, you know, every team has, has gotten their turn uh, recently. I think the Blue Jays haven't played them for a while, actually. But point is, you know, wins against the Orioles in the ALEs don't really tell much. You know, it's just it's a free few wins. Yeah, and, and they got the Orioles at a particular particularly bad time. They were on like an 11, you know, after the yep. series, they were on like an 11 or 12 game losing streak or 10 game but most, But most of those losses were against ALEs teams, I'm pretty sure. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they yeah, played the seems, Yankees. They played the Rays. Yeah, it seems to be a carousel. Um. And mm-hmm. yeah, when you uh, when you take away. Yeah. When uh, with uh. With the runners in scoring position thing, yeah. Outside of their games against the Orioles, and outside of uh, everyone's games against the Orioles, because the only way I can uh find this out is. By taking away the Orioles as a potential opponent on uh, on fan grabs, but uh, in uh, situations where teams are not facing the Orioles, the Red Sox are 25th in average with runners in scoring position. So, yeah, that's where they rank, as you mentioned, 231 average. And uh, I should look at uh, high leverage situations because I think they're struggling there as well. the The biggest highlighter of that was. On Tuesday night, Red Sox were 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. It just seemed like they could yeah. done. Yeah, that was, it was just, those are like the most brutal of games to watch is like when you, when you just know it's coming at that point. It's like, yeah, they got a guy in scoring position. They're not going to get him in though. They're going to find a way not to when it happens. Like those are the most frustrating games to watch, which, you know, every team has them within a season, like where it's like a streak of like three to four games in a row where it just keeps happening. Yeah, yeah, and this this seems uh especially elongated and and yeah, uh since July 29th in uh yeah, since July 29th, the Red Sox rank 29th in OPS in high leverage situations. They have a 438 OPS in high leverage situations. Yeah, that's not good. So, like, sure, you know, in the span, their weighted runs created pause is like 108, and they're, they're like middle of the pack in terms of OPS or, or what have you. But when when it really matters, they're, they're not getting it done. And when you add on top, you know, the pitching struggles, especially in the bullpen, 
it's just it just seems like every time every at every point where the game really matters the, the rest as a whole not getting it done as a whole they have an 89 weighted runs created plus against non-orioles teams oh wow they really yeah. brought it up that much yep that's, <laughs> that's something well i mean let me see let me see what they were against the orioles individually had to be in like the one e's probably something like that Yeah, oh, wait, hold on. I think I did it wrong. I 100% did this wrong. All right. Um, I'm going to see. I'm going to see if. Uh, let's see if I'm really I'm on. So I'm on the. Uh, I'm on the. Uh, the splits tool on fan graphs. And it tells you like a team's numbers versus certain opponents. Uh. The Red Sox. Okay, not okay. Wait, they do have an eighty-nine. Okay, I was right. Never mind. Cancel that. I actually I did get it right. Never mind. Oh. Yeah. Look okay. at me knowing what I'm doing. Look at that. Uh. So. Yeah, and uh, they have yeah eighty-nine weight runs created plus a seven seven oh one OPS, and that eighty-nine weighted runs created plus against non Orioles since July 29th ranks 22nd in all of baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah, not good, especially from where you would say that's a part where the Red Sox specializes. They're off, like, coming into the season, it was like, their pitching is questionable, but you'll, you'll know that they'll have a good offense. Exactly, and, this, and that's kind of still been the case this season. Like, I'm sure this is just uh... – you know, this is just a rough patch teams go through them, but this is very elongated. Uh, it's coming at a time where everyone else in the division has kind of been surging, so that's obviously very inconvenient. Uh, and it came at a time where you just, you know, it's the trade deadline just passed. I still, I still stand by what I said about the Red Sox trade deadline. I'm content with it, but it, it's yeah. very inconvenient that it comes at this time. Yeah, it also, like... Um... You know, you, you mentioned the offensive struggles. Uh, everyone is complaining about how the Red Sox didn't get pitching. I don't see what what pitching would have uh, would have oh. really softened this blow here, especially with what the market was like with with the Blue Jays with what the Blue Jays gave up to get Jose Barrios. Like, do Red Sox fans really think they would have wanted to do that? With the fact that pitching probably wouldn't have really helped that much anyway when the offense has been struggling. Oh yeah, it's, it, it it really yeah, it, it wouldn't have worked. Um, like the Red Sox equivalent to the Blue Jays trade would have been if you gave up like Jeter Downs and Tristan Cassis. Yeah, pretty much. That's probably like, the value. No, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that's also a no thank you for me. Um, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but Baseball America ranked the Red Sox as the has the ninth highest farm system. They started the year at number twenty. So, like, they've obviously, like, Bloom has really juiced up the farm system this year. They got Kyle Schwarber at the deadline, only giving up Aldo Ramirez, who I believe in the system. Uh, there's no need to, like, eventually Heim is going to be able to make the big trades, but right now he's he's doing the Ben Charrington method. He's building up a farm system, uh, and eventually he's going to be able to make some moves with them, or they're going to come up in the majors and produce. Right, yeah, uh, exactly, and... Yeah, this this team. I mean, it it, it has been a you know 
heading into the deadline, they were, you know, an, kind of an overperforming team. They were up a game and a half in the uh, in in the division, but I, it wasn't really it, it wasn't a thing where like heading into the playoffs, if you have, you know, Max Scherzer or Jose Barrios, it's a guarantee that you're going to get to the World Series. It, it really yeah. wasn't. It was, it was going to be a battle no matter what. Um, and it, you know, given their current organization situation, uh, probably wasn't going to be worth it. I, I think what this yeah. is off the topic, but I think what should be mentioned with the offense is they're not really facing great pitching staffs either uh, outside of like Tampa Bay. It's been Detroit, uh, Toronto. I mean, Toronto has a decent uh, three, uh, you know, top three in the rotation, but, uh, you know, Baltimore, obviously, and, and New York, like, they didn't even face Garrett, or, yeah, they didn't face Garrett Cole in uh, in the Yankees series, and they were still struggling. Yeah. Um, so the Red Sox are currently a half game out of a playoff spot. Uh can you imagine a Red Sox Yankees wild card game though? I mean, talk like about, it's very, very possible. Yeah, talk about good for baseball. That would be mm-hmm. something. And I that think, would be something. I think the I think the result of the game would depend entirely on who's home. Uh, based on probably based on how my feelings look at it now, like I don't see this Red Sox team winning a wild card game in Yankee Stadium. Uh, especially like I don't know what the pitching matchup would be but let's say let's say chris sale versus garrett cole yeah um yeah, we haven't really seen sale enough to make a decision especially because he's only faced the orioles and like we said you know clearly the red Sox and what they did against the orioles wasn't very telling to who they are right now yeah and, and uh yeah i don't think i don't think the red Sox win that game i think i mean i'm more comfortable with them at fenway park and if the red Sox end up playing that hypothetical game at Fenway, that means they've definitely uh, gotten it together enough to get past the Yankees. So I'm a little more confident there. But, yeah, I don't see the Red Sox. Like, the chances of them uh, winning a wild card game. The Yankee uh, Stadium are slim to none. Yeah. But maybe maybe we're wrong. I wouldn't mind being wrong on that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've been – I mean, we've we've both been kind of wrong on the on the Red Sox in terms of what our preseason expectations of them were, but uh, so it's good to be wrong for sure. Yeah, I mean, I had them hovering five hundred, and they're like fifteen games over. So, right, right, and we would hate to uh, for that to end up being right. <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, we did both have them as a fourth place team, and that could very much happen. Yeah, they could be like an 88-win fourth-place team, which is yeah. weird to think about. Uh, I mean, for- if you told me that that would have happened preseason without the context of how it happened, I would have taken it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But, I mean, on a context where they were on pace for 100 wins. By the way, I think they've already lost as many games as they did in 2018. Uh, right, yeah, 69-54. and 54. So. Yeah, so the exact same, right? Right. Yeah. They they win out. They would, if they, that's, that's nuts. If they won out, like they're a half game out of a playoff spot. If they won out, they would tie the 2018 team and it's August 20th. Yeah. That's me. 39 games in a row. 
ridiculous. That's what they would have to do. Yeah. Um, anything more in the Red Sox? Ah, uh, I don't. Not really. I mean, I don't know. I just wanna. I wanna not be talking about this again. Yeah. Because if too. this continues, this will probably have to be something we revisit. I don't want that. Yeah. Um, and also for context on what's coming up for them, they're, you know, they're they're entering a spot where they should be getting it together. Uh, they're facing. Uh, the Rangers, the Twins, and the uh, Cleveland Indians back-to-back-to-back in a nine-game span. That's, you know, if you're going to make some ground in the standings or... uh, Are they going to Cleveland or are they coming in? I believe they're going to Cleveland. I mean, they haven't faced Cleveland all year, so... Exactly, uh, that's why I'm asking. Okay, yeah, they are going to Cleveland. And then they have a four-gamer in Tampa. That's going to be... That's going to be really what tells everything, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I know the Yankees are facing Minnesota this weekend, but um, should check to see what their competition is like after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, because, I mean, that's another t- – because now the Red Sox aren't only chasing Tampa, they're chasing the Yankees, they're chasing Oakland. Um, they're trying to keep away from Toronto. A lot of things to uh, keep track of for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the Yankees seem to be facing. Uh, so after Minnesota, they have two games against Atlanta. They have a four gamer at Oakland. So, I mean, that'll be interesting. That'll be that'll be interesting. And then they'll be at LA to face the Angels. Um, yeah, they kind of have a up and down schedule uh, throughout the next couple of weeks. So yeah, that's that's kind of uh, what's been happening in the American League East. The National League East has seen some change in standings. You know, the last time we were talking about the National League East, we were talking about the surge of the Philadelphia Phillies and, you know, the fact that uh, they were ahead in the division by a couple games. And now it's time to talk about the surge of the Atlanta Braves who uh, have taken advantage of, of uh, some easy scheduling. They've done exactly what they've needed to do and currently are nine games above 500 uh, after not being above 500 for most of the most of the season and they are up three and a half games or is it just three games baseball reference is a, a day late here but they are up uh, four games four games in the National League East uh, pretty amazing stuff uh, what, what are we thinking about it I mean, what a what a comeback this team has had from basically i mean like literally a month ago we were saying like is this it for the entire process right like, let's not forget that since july 31st the braves are sixth in offensive f4 and fifth in pitching f4 they've been doing it from both sides uh for the last few weeks and it's pretty telling as to why they've been uh i mean everything's been clicking it that's kind of why they've been searching 
know, a 3.48 ERA with a 3.47 FIP. They've been getting extremely, extremely unlucky, and they've been still pushing through with uh, with their entire team. Uh, on the pitching side, Charlie Morton has been one of the more underrated pickups, I think. No one's really been talking about him. He is a 130 ERA plus on the season, and he is a 1.2 F ward since July uh, 31st, which is, I believe, just four starts. Uh, uh, that's been yeah. very strong. Dansby Swanson has been surging. Like We've finally been seeing it from him. He's having a career year. Freddie Freeman has picked it up. Austin Riley... Uh, is the only person to receive a how about these this year, and you can see why. Max Fried has been making a comeback. Ozzy Albies just homered in five straight games, I believe. Uh, the entire everyone, everything's kind of clicking. Huskar and Noah also just came back. That's that's big for them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been, and they still got Ian Anderson coming back. He's rehabbing. Uh, right. Yeah, like a lot of their problem has been injuries and they're going to get some of those guys back so it makes them even more dangerous uh they've won 13 of their last 15 uh so that's since august 3rd and and since august 3rd uh freddie freeman hitting 386 with a 1094 ops danby swanson hitting 387 with a 1047 ops uh austin riley also austin riley killing it uh, after the how about these, this is this is after I pointed him out. Yeah, how about that. He's still literally July thirty first in the morning was when we did it. Yeah, since August third, hitting three forty four, the nine seventy nine OPS. Uh, Adam Duvall has been uh, has been a very good acquisition so far. Since August third, hitting two oh eight, but that two oh eight average doesn't matter because he's got an eight ninety one OPS, mm-hmm. uh, three forty four on base and five forty seven slugging. And uh, Ozzy Albies with a with an 807 OPS, and I mean I could get more pitchers, but you know, it's mostly been Charlie Morton, and also Tyler Motzik's been great out of the bullpen as well. Yeah, well, also Max Fried, I think in his last four start four starts had like a one and a half ERA or something like that. Yeah. Um, I know. It, yeah, going back since August 3rd, he's had three starts and has a one uh, a one flat ERA. Max Freed does. Uh, Charlie Morton has a two-flat ERA, and uh, Luke Jackson at the bullpen, seven innings, one earned run. Uh, Richard Rodriguez uh, out of the bullpen since August 3rd, eight innings, one earned run. Uh, Tuki Tucson, even him, 16 and two-thirds innings pitched, 3-2-4 ERA. Uh, we, we don't have to look at the fifth there, uh, but <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and I do mention uh, their schedule has been a little lighter, and but you know they've been taking advantage of it. They the the thirteen out of fifteen win stretch started in St. Louis, and uh, then they faced Washington for three games. Uh, Cincinnati, who is surging, they faced them for three games. Washington again for three more in Washington, and then they just swept uh, Miami in Miami and. It doesn't stop there. They're, they're facing Baltimore in Baltimore uh, this upcoming weekend. So, and then it, then the schedule gets a little harder for them after that. It's going to be uh, the Yankees, Giants, and Dodgers back to back to back. So that'll be fun to see. But yeah, I mean, um, out of nowhere, they they just uh, popped up. Yeah, they have. 
Uh, my that's this is my World Series pick, so it's obviously big for me that uh that that's still coming to fruition, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is funny because uh, like when I was looking at, at at the end of like the first half, I was looking at my uh, standings predictions, and I was like, well, the Braves one's kind of Braves one is kind of out the window, you know. We obviously both had them as the as the at least. Uh, winners and I was like, that's not going to be happening. But do you think now, right now? Do you think right now with the the Mets free falling and the Phillies getting swept by the Diamondbacks and just perpetually being the Phillies, do you think you could lock the Braves in right now as the division champs? Lock them in right now. Uh, I mean, like it's hard to see the Mets or Phillies, you know, get this get this out, especially the Mets. The Mets without uh, Degrom or Lindor or Baez right now. Uh, Degrom's like his season's pretty much over, which is a real shame. But yeah, what it is. Yeah, I'll I'll uh I'll go. I usually don't take the hotter take, even though I don't think it's much of a hot take. I could lock the Braves in. I would I would do it too. I like they don't like they're gonna get Ian Anderson back. Um, they might. I don't know. I don't know if they have anyone else really coming back. I think Travis Darno just came back. Uh, he isn't. He hasn't exactly picked it up yet. But who says he can't? You know, he's still. He might be dealing with an injury still. I think they're gonna move. Do you think they would move Will Smith out of closer spot because he's been struggling lately, and they have a, a number of guys who have been uh, strong lately. I'm wondering um, if they would do that. They would take uh, Will, Will Smith, Smith out of the, out of the closer spot. role. Yeah. Um. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to see Richard Rodriguez in there, so we could. Uh... Yeah. I mean that would make a lot of sense. Prove me, prove me more uh, correctly. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, that would be great. Um, and he's yeah, only given up one run. Only. A, oh my God, Richard Rodriguez. Uh, since he joined the Braves, ten innings pitched, uh, one earned run, four strikeouts. Yeah, that, I mean three point six strikeouts per nine. Yeah, that That's, would be uh, that would be like top ten in, in the eighteen eighties. Yeah, that's uh, odd. Yeah, he had he hasn't been a big strikeout guy this year, which is like it's not really him. It's... Well, his spin rates have gone down since the crackdown. That is true. Uh, even even before that, he wasn't getting a crazy amount of strikeouts. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a bit because because you look at who's been who's been performing well for them. And you see, like, you know, obviously, like, Dan Zeus Swanson's not going to be sustaining a 1,000-plus OPS, but, like, you look at who's doing good for, like, the Phillies during their surge, you know, a lot of those guys weren't doing sustainable, uh, weren't, it wasn't going to be sustainable for them, and kind of, like, same with the Mets, with their pitchers, at least. So, you know, it, this is this is kind of the Braves, uh, Braves division to win, pretty much. Yeah. Like this is like they've they they control their own destiny. I think that's the way to put it. Uh, yeah, I would completely agree with that. Like, uh, it, it's pretty amazing how what a difference, pretty much two weeks can make. Uh, they were, they were four back on after uh, August first. Now they are four up. 
Uh, so an ATM difference there in uh, mm -hmm. about 18 days. Uh, yeah, right. pretty uh, pretty cool stuff there. I mean, unless you're a Phillies or Mets fan. Yeah, I think I think the Mets. A lot of the issues with the Mets was was health as it normally is. Um, it didn't. It didn't get away. Did you from uh, Did you see Steve Cohen's tweet? Um, I, there was that thing where uh, like about hitters' approach, right? Yeah. But he was talking about slugging an OPS, and I was like, "Nice." I know. Nice, Steve. The funny thing is, Fangraphs like responded and like was pretty upset with him. I'm gonna uh, find the, the Fangraphs, like the Fangraphs official Twitter account. Yeah. Wait, what did they say? What did they say? I'm gonna scroll down and find it. It'd be funny if you saw Steve Cohen. It was kind of weird though. It was a weird, like, take. It'd be um, funny if Steve Cohen was like, "Well, our average launch angle on fastballs has gone down five degrees in the last uh, 17 days," and I think, uh, I think our yeah. approach. That would be that would be a crazy. Of events like that's all that's a very big uh decrease or increase or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, if, if he was just going on savant search every day, just tweeting out, yeah, what's what's the problem with the Mets? Like, average, average exit velocity against a uh, breaking balls has gone down. I was looking at this in the month of August, the Reds' average launch angle has gone up six degrees. And they've scored more runs than anyone else in the National League, so like it works. Like, good for them. Yeah. Here it is. So, these tweeted, Steve, do yourself a favor and don't click on the advanced tab on our stats leaderboard. And they replied <laughs> to it. This is this is the part I didn't really understand. They said, in case you were wondering, the Mets rank 16th in, major, in the majors in walk rate, 19th in weighted runs created plus, 23rd in WOBA, and 1st in owners who are two online. Yeah, which it's, is it's weird. Kind of, a, kind of a boom sauce, but it's like, I don't know. Like, are you really proving him wrong by saying that his team is 23rd in WOBA? Like, that's not good. Even 16th in the majors in walk rate, that's still below average. That's that's lower 50 percentile. And also, actually, Cohen must have been listening to uh, Above Replacement Radio because Mets, the Mets offense was one of my uh, slightly alarmists. So yeah. It, and it, I was pointing out, I think, I don't know whether. Where they were, I think they were 26th in OPS in like a two or three week span. But like, mm -hmm. it's not like, yeah, sure, during the whole year, they've been sort of middle of the pack, but over the last almost month, they've been one of the worst offenses in baseball. Yeah. You know, advanced statistics or no advanced statistics. I don't know why. Um, Fangraph said that. I don't either. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't, it's, they're not like owning Steve Cohen by saying, Oh, you guys are 16th in the majors and walk rate. Still not that good. Yeah. It, like like for, a team uh, that, for a team that's competing for a division that you don't want that 23rd and well, but 19th and weighted runs created plus, And they also don't have the race. Right. And like, also you shouldn't be uh, discouraging the use of advanced statistics, especially with someone like Steve Cohen. Yeah. Um, so for context, Steve Cohen tweeted, uh, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. And he's right. They don't lie. Neither does the walk rate numbers. Um, I don't know. It's very weird. 
it's very the whole thing is just very confusing right yeah exactly exactly um yeah very very strange interaction there um yeah i, I don't get fangraph's official twitter account like trying to thousand followers because i think there there is like a desire from people who use advanced statistics sometimes like consciously or subconsciously to own people who are like a little older and yeah normally look at things a little more traditionally sabermetrics has a cult following oh for sure yeah for it sure absolutely does and like I'll, i don't want to admit myself to it but you know i'd say that i'm somewhat a part of it yeah oh yeah like when it when people are saying stupid stuff yeah because you know, steve cohen wasn't saying anything stupid really but when people are saying if if uh if for if for some reason the Mets uh, the Mets uh, average was like particularly high and Steve Cohen was like, I don't see I don't know what people are talking about with our with our uh, offense or our average ranks like ninth in the MLB. I don't know what people are talking about. One like, thing I will I say that's kind of, I guess it's a little off topic, but it's it's with the sabermetric stuff. Fred McGriff made a very good point on MLB Now this week about launch angle that I hadn't heard from anybody yet, and I've like I've been. You know, I've been very active in my stance on launch angle. I've, been, I've, I've written about it. I've talked about it on this program. But McGriff said that, like, it, it didn't sound like he was against the, the concept of it, but he said the approach with it is wrong in the league, where if you're a hitter, you want to worry about making contact and then producing a launch angle, but people are too worried about doing it, like, all in one motion. Right. Yeah, that's, that's more of a – that's more of a – of a of an analysis from a player's perspective for sure like that's like, that's one that i i can accept and understand as like okay maybe teams are getting it wrong but i think i still stand by the existence of launch angle is meant to figure out what works for you and not to create a certain universal thing that works for everyone because that just doesn't exist yeah absolutely and like uh yeah that your your article is on uh is on the diamond digest i think um you pointed out like Jose Ramirez and DJ LeMahieu. It was yep. in, I think it was in 2020, they had around the same offensive production and completely different launch angles. Uh, yeah. So it, it is really, it's truly a thing where it, you know, it's not a correlation uh, like launch angle and offensive production. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. I mean, I mean it, it can be, it can be, there can be a correlation when you find out what works for you. But like there is no universal like you need to have this launch angle because everyone will thrive off of it. That's not necessarily true. Right. Yeah. And and if there's if it's very extreme one way, if you have if your average launch mm -hmm. angle is like 30, that means you're probably popping a lot of balls up. And if your average launch angle is negative five, then that's you're punching the ball into the ground. Usually not good. It's not usually yeah. not those extremes aren't going to result in good offensive production, but um, you can have very, you can have di very disparate uh, launch angles and still produce well offensively in the case with like Jose Ramirez and D DJ LeMahieu having very different launch angles in 2020 and being two and three in the MVP vote. Um, all right. Do we want to get into uh, players to highlight? Let's do it. All right. So uh, now for our, Friday, August 20th, 2021 edition of 
Uh, who do you have for us today? You know, this is perfect because my How About That, I believe, has a 25-degree launch angle this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm talking about Mike Zanino because he's been <laughs> thriving. In the month of August, he is slashing 333, 351, 889 with a 1240 OPS. Uh, he is homered in each of his last five games, and he joins Carlos Pena and Jose Canseco as the only Rays to do so. And over his last 250 plate appearances, his expected slugging has gone from 356 to 541. That's what it was. So context, I'm talking about rolling windows here. That means that uh, over his last 250 plate appearances, those 250 alone, his expected slugging is 541. And over the 250 previous to that, it was 356. That's not uh, what his season or what his career has gone to. It's, it's strictly looking at those 250. But anyway... Uh, that 185-point difference is the highest increase over any 250-plate appearance rolling window in baseball. Coming into 2021, his career, expected, his career high in expected slugging over a single season was 456. This year, it is 532. He's increased it by almost 90 points. And his career high in barrel rate was 15.8, which is still very good. But now, it is 26.4%. Over one in every four batted balls he has is a barrel. That is 100th percentile, no doubt about it. He also has a chance at history this year. As of right now, uh, Zanino holds the, holds the only season in baseball history, minimum 250 plate appearances. You have a sub-220 batting average and a 550-plus slugging. So that is, uh, that is the historic season that we are witnessing from Mike Zanino. Mike Zanino. Yeah, uh, very pretty unbelievable uh 26.4 barrel rate pretty un unbelievable transformation the um the rolling windows thing you were saying that for slugging or expected slugging expected slugging expected slugging yeah um i think i pointed it out earlier but uh when you the uh, hilarious thing about mike zanino is when you go to the stat cast home run leaderboards it'll show you like the home runs, the expected home runs based on ballparks and like the amount of, you know, doubters, no doubters, you know, doubters are like less than 15 out of 30 ballparks uh, are home runs. No doubters are 30 out of 30 ballparks. And I think like the overwhelming majority of his home runs are 30 out of 30. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> ballparks. He's 26 of them too, which like it's no, no small sample size there. Yeah. I remember I looked at it. I think he, when he had like 12 home runs, I think it was like, or maybe even like 17, it was like 17 out of 17 were <laughs> gone in 30, 30 out of 30, 30. <laughs> like gone in all 30. Um, let's, I, I'm going to take a look. It shouldn't, uh, no doubters who leads the league in no doubters. So yeah, the, the no doubters leaderboards. It's funny that Savant has that as the phrase that it goes, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Shohei Otani, Mike Zanino. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the that's the leaderboard in ISO as well. Literally, that Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis Jr., Mike Zanino. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Zanino has a seventy three point one percent no doubter rate on on his home runs, which is uh, the exact same as Pete Alonso, who's uh, tied tied with him in no doubters as well. Um, yeah, good stuff for Mike Zanino. My how about that is also a Ray. Uh, and uh, 
This is actually an ARR comeback special, and it's a pretty. I, th- I thought about it. I thought about it, Chris. Yeah, it's a pretty. Uh, it's a pretty long, um, callback because this slightly alarming happened like over three months ago, mm-hmm. but uh, it is time for to him to give him the ARR comeback special. Uh, Brandon Lau, uh, you know, when I was looking at. When I was thinking about the Rays, I was like, who's like driving their success? Cause they don't have like, they don't have much, many like offensive stars. They're starting pitching, you know, Tyler Glass now got injured. Like the stable isn't quite the same, but I was looking at like numbers of, for, uh, for players on the Rays. And I looked at Brandon Lau and he was like, he was doing considerably well, considering that he had been a slightly alarming before, but and, you know, had to look at what he's been doing. And in his last 56 games, he is hitting 289 with a 1053 OPS. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much like a 2020 season is his 50 is 56 games. Uh, 1053 OPS in this span. Uh, in this span, he ranks third in home runs with 19. Only Shohei Otani and Joey, Joey Votto are ahead of him. Also in this span, out of 147 qualifiers, his on-base percentage ranks ninth. His slugging percentage ranks third. His OPS ranks fifth. His weighted runs created plus ranks first. And his F war ranks first. He has been the best player of the past uh, two-plus months, according to F war. Uh, before this span, his strikeout rate was 31.4%. And in this span, his strikeout rate is down to 24.9%, about a 6.5 percentage point difference. Uh, also before the span, his average exit velocity was 88.0 miles per hour, and his hard hit rate was 36.8%. And in the span, his average exit velocity is 91.3 miles per hour, 3.3 miles per hour difference, and his hard hit rate is 52.2%, uh, over a 15 percentage point difference there. Uh, and before, also before the span, his barrel rate was 12.0%, which was already very good. But in this span, his barrel rate is up to 18.8%. And uh, lastly, with Brandon Lau, uh, in this span, he has uh, tied for the sixth most barrels in all of baseball. And out of 201 hitters with 100 batted balls since June 11th, his barrel rate ranks seventh uh, among those hitters. So, Brandon Lau getting the ARR comeback special and getting a I feel so proud listening to you cite stuff that I know you found off the Savant search tool. Yeah, uh, 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 kind of a thing I started getting into like not very long, probably like two months ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it it's a it's truly a wonderful world out there in the savant search that it's, I really did not know about. It feels like one of the infinity stones. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's like stat stat had the the splits tool, the illustrator, the search tool, and we just yeah. need two more. It's quite literally like the five tools of baseball, except yeah. it's baseball stat yeah. finding. Yes. Yeah, Chris, Chris has a, I'll give Chris an 80 grade on the search tool for this. How about that? <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. Um, yeah. Stats, baseball savant, you know, if you, 
if you uh, find a way to use it properly can be uh, amazing for you. And yeah, um, definitely, definitely got some help from, from you with that. Uh, so now we go from the highs to the lows where we're talking about players or subjects that have been underperforming as of late. Uh, so now for our Monday, August 20th, 2021 edition of slightly alarming. Uh, who do you have for us today? Doing someone with uh, the same first name and a last initial towards the end of the alphabet. I'm looking at Mike Yastrzemski for my slightly alarming because his his there's a recent sample size and there's a whole season problem for him. Uh, over his last 24 games played, Mike Yastrzemski is slashing 150, 218, 263 for a 481 OPS. And dating back to July 23rd, where that streak goes, he ranks in the bottom five in the entire quadruple slash line among the 158 qualifiers. And on the season, he is a 218 batting average with a 212 expected batting average. That is in the sixth percentile. His low batting average has actually been a factor of luck, which is unfortunate. His fly ball rate has gone up 15.4% over the last over this year between this year and last year. And that is the fourth highest increase in baseball, which that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, but when you're in a pitcher's park like Oracle Park, it's not something you want. And he's been particularly struggling against breaking balls in 2021. Among the 154 hitters who have seen at least 400 breaking balls this year, Yastrzemski's 126 average ranks third worst. And if you look deep into it, he has been unable to hit sliders at a at an historically bad rate. His negative eight run value against sliders is tied for 40th worst among the <clears throat> the 2,851 pitches that any hitter has seen in at least 10 plate appearances. That means uh, any, like, it, that means, like, Vlad Jr. against fastballs and Vlad Jr. against curveballs are counted. Yeah, again, there's 2,851 pitches that any hitter has seen through at least 10 plate appearances. And Mike Yastrzemski's negative eight run value against sliders is 40th worst, tied for 40th worst. And to be fair, run value is a count stat. It's something that's accumulated. You can only get it if you have C of it a lot. Still, let's look at a rate stat that's pretty bad. Uh, his 083 average on sliders is second worst among the 912 pitches that any hitter has seen through at least 50 plate appearances. So Mike Zanino, he's been struggling all year. His, uh, his OPS plus is down to 101. He's just barely an average hitter. He's been struggling particularly lately, and he's been virtually... I mean, if you're facing Mike Yastrzemski and you can throw a slider, do it every single time. You might as well. Right. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski. Slightly alarming. Um, yeah, he was someone who uh, was up for midseason MVP of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, he he and like, Brandon Lau. Yeah, like uh, it was like between Yastrzemski and Fernando Tatis Jr. at at, for midseason NL MVP, he was like mm -hmm. consistently at the uh, top of the F4 leaderboards. Um, my slightly alarming is uh, someone who, I mean, could have could have been up for an award uh, last year. He didn't play very many games, but I believe he did lead all NL rookies in F4 despite only playing 24 games. Uh, but he's been having a bit of a soft. I mean. I mean, I guess he's still in his rookie year, but a bit of a sophomore slump. 
Uh, talking about Key Brian Hayes, who uh, had had some injury problems before, but uh, this the span I'm talking about, he's been healthy the whole time. Uh, in his last 46 games, he is hitting 234 with a 621 OPS and only two home runs in these 46 games. Uh, his expected batting average is also still lower than his actual batting average, uh, which is pretty bad. His expected batting average is 218. His actual batting average is 234. Also in the span, uh, he ranks 146th out of 155 qualifiers in slugging and 148th out of 155 in OPS. And of the 139, and yeah, we're, we're getting back into the Savant search stuff here. Of the 139 batters with 100 batted ball events since June 26th, Hayes has the highest ground ball rate at 60% and the lowest average launch angle at zero degrees. So this has been a, a change in approach and it has not worked for, for Hayes at all. Also, his average launch angle from 20 to uh, from 2020 to 2021 has dropped six degrees and his average launch angle on fastballs has dropped 11 degrees. And uh, overall, his line drive rate from 2020 to 2021 has gone from 32.3% to 19.6%. Uh, so yeah, Key Brian Hayes uh, hitting, hitting the ball on the ground more. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, intentionally or unintentionally, but He's been having a having a tough time this year, and uh, yeah, not not been quite the same as 2020. But you know, obviously, he's 24. This is a this is slightly alarming. So, Key Brian Hayes. Slightly alarming. Uh, all right, so that does it for players or subjects to highlight. Uh, now we get into a preview of the weekend ahead. Um, I, I usually look at the series to watch. Daniel usually looks at the day-by-day uh, -day matchups of who is pitching and what have you. Uh, my there's a there's two series you you should be keeping your uh, keeping your eye on. I think uh, we have you know we have a three-game series with two teams that are pretty comfortably uh, sitting at the top of their division right now between the Rays and the White Sox. This is a potential uh, a potential playoff matchup for sure, whether it be LDS or LCS. Uh, tonight you have uh, Walker versus Giolito in that. Uh, tomorrow you have Dallas Keuchel versus Luis Patino. And Sunday you have Ronaldo Lopez versus TBD. And then another series to watch, uh, with some playoff implications. It's the Battle of the Bay. It's the Athletics versus the Giants. And I believe that should be a three-game series because it is weird. Did not with, play last night. With, uh, but uh, it, it can be weird with interleague because I remember the Phillies, the Phillies and Yankees had a series that was Saturday and Sunday. They skipped Friday, which is very, very unusual. But uh, tonight you have James Caprillion versus Alex Wood. Uh, Saturday, you have Sean Manaya, or yeah, I'll skip the, uh, I'll skip that one. You have half that one. That's going to be a very, very good pitching matchup. Yeah. Um, and then uh, on Sunday, 
you have Frankie Montas versus Logan Webb, another pretty good pitching matchup. So yeah. uh, those two series are, you know, I'd say Rays White Sox, you know, it's not going to change much uh, in terms of where they're going to stand, but it could be a potential playoff preview. But uh, A's, A's Giants, especially for the A's, uh, that's going to be tough. They're battling for a wild card spot with the mostly the Yankees and Red Sox. So uh, that's, you know, if how far are they from the Astros? I think they're, they might be like two, two and, and a half. half games. They could very much win that division outright as well. Right. And uh, if they were if they're able to, you know, have a big series against the Giants, that would definitely, definitely help them out. Uh, what do you got for day by day matchups? So uh, there's one series that you did not mention that I feel like I probably should talk about. Uh, the Colorado Rockies are a force to be reckoned with at Coors Field, and the Arizona Diamondbacks literally went two months without winning a game on the road. So uh, I am looking at Diamondbacks versus Rockies at Coors tonight. You got Tyler Gilbert looking to follow up his no-hitter at Coors Field. That's going to be a good one. Very excited about that. You have Chris Sale pitching for the Red Sox against the Rangers. You have Max Fried pitching for the aforementioned Atlanta Braves. You have Nestor Cortez pitching for the Yankees. He's been very good. You have Cy Young candidate Robbie Ray pitching against his former team, the Detroit Tigers. People forget he used to play there as well. You have you have Lucas Giolito, like you mentioned, going for the White Sox. You have a uh, say that one for a second later. You have Alex Wood versus James Capillion. Good matchup in athletics versus Giants. You have uh, Walker Buehler going against the Mets for the Dodgers. Carlos Carrasco also going. He's been struggling lately, but uh, nonetheless, he is still a high-profile pitcher. You have Blake Snell going for the Padres against the Phillies. And lastly, the matchup of the night comes from Mariners-Astros in Houston. You have Yusei Kikuchi going against Lance McCullers Jr. and that filthy slider of his that he just developed this year. On Saturday, you have Eduardo Rodriguez going for the Red Sox. You have um, save, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about this. You have a good 2020 matchup. You have Kenta Maeda going against Garrett Cole in the Twins-Yankees series. You have Hunjin Ryu going for the Blue Jays. You have Rich Hill making his return to Dodgers Stadium against Max Serger in Dodgers-Mets. That's an interesting one. You have Eric Lauer going for the Brewers. He's, had a very, he's been a very unsung hero for that team lately. You have Reed Detmers going at Progressive Field for the Angels, a young prospect. You have Logan Gilbert going for the Mariners against the Astros. You have Wade Miley going for the Reds against the Marlins. You have Aaron Nola versus Joe Musgrove in the Phillies Padres. And the match for the night comes from the Battle of the Bay. Kevin Gosman versus Sean Manaya. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. And then on Sunday, you have Nathan Ovaldi going for the Red Sox against the Rangers. John Means going for the Orioles against the Braves. You have Jordan Montgomery going for the Yankees. He's had a strong second half. Sandy Alcantara versus Vladimir Gutierrez in Marlins Reds to end that series. That'll be a good one. You have... Ooh, I'll save that one for match for the night. You have Marcus Stroman going against David Price in uh, two, two former teammates, actually. In Toronto, going against each other. Correct. For Mets, Dodgers. Sunday night baseball is the Little League Classic uh, between the Angels and the Guardians. You have Kyle Gibson going for the Phillies. You have Adam Wainwright going for the Cardinals. And the matchup of the night, uh, once again, comes from the Battle of the Bay. 
like you mentioned, Logan Webb versus Frankie Montas. Uh, also, while we're talking about the A's, uh, our thoughts are with Chris Bassett, who was struck by a line drive on Wednesday. That was a that was a really ugly scene out there in Chicago. But uh, he was released from the hospital the same night, so that's very encouraging. Yeah, absolute uh, nightmare situation as a uh, as a pitcher there. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, we we hope for the best of recoveries. You don't want to mess with anything with the head area because you you only get one brain and uh yeah uh yeah hoping hoping he recovers quite well but over under four and a half earned runs from tyler gilbert john john Heyman just refuses to spell blake trinan's name correctly i mean like he refuses he just tweets so mlb network just uh tweeted like just made a graphic of the lowest expected era among relievers blake trinan second on that list to colin McHugh. john Heyman tweeted out great list by mlb network trinan has been unhittable lately that slider is sick uh he refused and for the third time he spelled trinan's name wrong third uh third uh instance at least because there was the he hit free agency between 2019 and 20 when he went uh from a's to the dodgers he was a free agent again last year and now there's this. He ref- John Heyman just refused. And it's right there. Like, he tweeted out the graphic with his name on it. He refuses uh, to spell it right. He gets the, he did the I-N at the end instead of the E-N. Yeah, it, it's, not, it's not even that difficult of a name. Like, it's, if, once you get it the first time, it's not that difficult a name. I mean, like, his name is on the graphic. Like, it's right oh, there. Right. When you tweet out a picture, you can see it while you're typing out the name. Like, it, it couldn't have been any easier. Like, you, like we, he could have just looked it up beforehand. That's usually what we'd say. But his name is in the picture. Yeah, it would be like... What uh, are we doing? Yeah, it would be... It'd be like saying... Uh, saying you're introducing yourself and then, you know, getting your... Uh, saying, yeah, it would be like uh, it would be like if I said like, "Hey, my name's Chris," and they were like, "Nice to meet you, Christian." Nice yeah. to meet you. Um, yeah. It, very weird, but given the uh, uh back to my uh, earlier point, given the uh, regression, you know, the regression gods and the direction of the Rockies' offense and being in Coors Field. Over under four and a half earned runs given up by Tyler Gilbert tonight. Uh, the Rockies' offense has been hot lately. I'm taking the over. Yeah, I think Tyler Gilbert gives up six earned runs, and I think it gets pulled out in the third. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just how regret the regression is going to go. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, that does it for. That does it for this edition of Above Replacement Radio. We hope you enjoyed this one. If you're listening on an Apple podcast or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Uh, and yeah, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Look at the history series. Plenty of content to be absorbed there. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you on Monday, next Monday, where we're going to be talking about all the happenings in major league baseball. Once again.
See you then.